I listen to the dead in my shower almost every single night. This is the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody. Well, everybody, welcome to the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody, episode eight. It's exciting. It's NFL Draft Week in America. This is fantastic. It's going to be the first time in like five weeks that we've had a major sporting event to go on as scheduled, except for the fact that Roger Goodell will be broadcasting from the basement of his rich enclave in New York and team selecting and players selected won't be in the same room on account of the coronavirus stay-at-home orders. But anyway, it's still the NFL draft. Uh, we're going to get to that. But first, I want to tell you about the show menu today. It's exciting. Stugatz is back for point two zero. We had him on last week. Had a bunch of laughs, uh, co-starring Finney, the, the constantly barking dog. Point two zero. Right. 2.0. Sorry. Whatever. <laughs> and we also have, um, I'm excited to have this gentleman, Cameron Wolf, an ESPN reporter covering the NFL and especially the Miami Dolphins. And, and we're going to do a deep dive into the NFL draft with him. But first, you and I are going to talk about it a little bit. I just want to mention what really interests me about this NFL draft. Will Dave Gettleman be able to unmute himself? <laughs> For me, it's one of the most eagerly anticipated first rounds ever Thursday night. Uh, why? It's the NFL, right? So every draft is like a drug to a nation of addicts. But this year, especially because, let's face it, we're locked at home and starved for any live sports that aren't guys playing video games or horse. I'm looking forward to the stuff on draft night that will be the <laughs> more memorable than any one pick, more memorable. I'm talking about technological glitches that will wipe some, <laughs> yes. some team off the air just as about to make yes. a pick. Yes, a frozen GM right as they're yes. supposed to make a pick. Or, or better yet, uh, Goodell's dog barking incessantly like Finney and Stugatz's house. I would pay for that. I would bribe Goodell's dog right now to just be an absolute show on Thursday night. I'll be the dog. I want you to make a pick as Roger Goodell right now. And now with the fifth pick <laughs> in the NFL draft, <laughs> the Miami Dolphins <laughs> select. <laughs> I like it. Wouldn't you pay? I would pay for that. I would pay for that. And, and better yet, I guarantee you this is going to happen. Somewhere in the first round, the linebacker from Corn Fed State University is going to be picked late in the first round, and he is going to be shown in the midst of a raucous house party with like <laughs> 45 people serpentining around him in a giant conga line, violating every rule in the pandemic handbook. Just chugging a white claw? Just every, it, it's going to make a, a, a Dak Prescott house party look tame. I mean, this is going to be, you know it's going to happen. There's no better setup for a, an NFL player than this year to, to like get drafted and do a TikTok as a celebration. Oh, yeah, you're right. And, and we'll see some of that creativity too. It truly is. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to Thursday night in a way that I don't every year. I want to quickly plug my mock draft, which is coming out this week. Um, my annual mock draft, been doing it for like 25, 27 years in the Miami Herald. It's going to be online at MiamiHerald.com uh, late Tuesday and in Thursday's print, uh, the, the day of the first round. So we're looking forward to doing that. And, and here we're going to announce something a little bit different. We're trying something fun for listeners of our podcast. A little promotion? Yes. This is a promotion. 
Christopher and I, on Friday night, during the second round of the NFL Draft, we're going to host on Zoom a happy half hour. And we're going to invite to join our Zoom room three podcast listeners. But you have to do two things. Uh, two simple things. Follow at the Greg Cody Show on Twitter and retweet this week's episode in some form or fashion on Twitter. You do those two things, and you're eligible to win, and we will announce the winners on Thursday. Well, that sounds exciting. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to that. A happy half hour uh, with three of our podcasts uh, faithful. And uh, join. Try to, try to get on with us. I'd enjoy it. We, uh, we're going to talk more with Cameron Wolf about the Dolphins part of the draft later, but I just want to tell you what particularly interests me about the Dolphins on Thursday night in particular. Man, think about it. The Dolphins have been off radar for so long. Haven't had eyes on them. Since Marino. Pretty much. And, and now they have attention and possibility and pressure. Consider this. When was the last time the, the Finns had the nation's attention in, in any real way? Here's the answer. For anything good, it was probably 1984 when Marino was, was Patrick Mahomes before Mahomes was Mahomes. Marino was a 23-year-old league MVP, breaking every NFL passing record, leading the Dolphins to what would be their, their last, most recent Super Bowl, 30 six years ago. You know how many times since the Dolphins have truly been the talk of America? There were those few weeks during Bullygate when Richie Incognito was grand marshalling that clown show that made national news beyond sports. Oh, and there was that time the offensive line coach showed up on a video snorting coke off his desk. Go Dolphins! Now, finally. I got another one. Oh, what, what? The Wildcat. Okay. Yeah, that that that's fair. That was a, a, a fleeting novelty, but yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take that. But now we have Miami with three first-round picks for the first time in its 54-year history. They last had even two way back in 1992. Now, you know, with the fifth overall pick, this is the team that most people think most likely to pull the trigger on Tua Tagovailoa, who has the tremendous upside, but also the the durability questions. So. All of that puts the Dolphins at the center of this draft for me. It just kind of hit me that we're finally getting a sporting event, but there's going to be no winner and loser at the end of it. But the debate and the argument is going to sustain us. I mean, we're going to be talking sports again. We're, you know, we're going to be looking forward to football again. And for Dolphins fans, man, three first-round picks for the first time ever and the chance to get a franchise quarterback. If, if you're not excited about this draft, check your pulse. We should probably get to Stu Gatz because, you know, there's only so much time in the day, am I right? But one thing I wanted to, that we probably should mention in this episode, even though we've been focusing heavy on the draft, as we should, big draft coming up this week. But on Sunday, a lot of people watched the first two episodes of the Michael Jordan documentary, 10-part Michael Jordan documentary. And we've recorded this before we watched it. So we should probably pretend like we watched it and say just very generic things about how much we enjoyed it. It's Michael Jordan, a way you've never seen him. No, I'm kidding. We shouldn't fake it. This is bad. Yeah. But uh, just so you know, going forward, we will be your home for the Michael Jordan documentary just a week behind. <laughs> that's, that's right. All right, let's get back to Stu Gatz now. We pick up with part two of our conversation that began last week. There was so much good stuff, we had to break it into two parts. We pick up in the middle of this conversation talking about the coronavirus and, and how it's turned everybody's life upside down. Here he is. From the Dan Levitard Show with Stu Gatz, it's Stu Gatz. There's been some great philanthropy and everything going on. I, I agree that this, in, in a way, this has brought out some of the best in the human spirit, whether it's 
you know, entertainers doing singing from their own living rooms or people giving money. And it's, it's been heartwarming in a lot of ways. Greg, is there anything you could compare it to, like over the course of your lifetime, which is now 250 yeah. years? Is there anything? Yeah. old. <laughs> but is there anything? Is there anything you could compare the story itself and the way people are acting? Because you're right, everyone's acting generous and kind. Like 9/11 was different, right? Because it was it was it was one day, and you kind of knew as we as we got to the evening of 9/11, as terrible as that day was, when we were in it, you felt like okay, we're under attack. But then hours went by and nothing else happened. And headed into the evening of 9-11, and certainly the next morning on September 12th, you felt like, okay, whatever they were going to do, they did it. It's over. It will never happen again. It was a finality to it. What makes this one very stressful for a lot of yeah. people is it could end in a month and it could end in two years. And no yeah. one knows. I, I, have you ever seen anything like this in your lifetime? No. I mean, I could, you know, I could make a joke about the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, but even I'm not that old and I wasn't around for World War II. I have a, the faintest, vaguest memory of the JFK assassination in 63. I was a, a small boy, small but boy. you know, a, a presidential assassination and what happened in 9-11, those are finite things. They've happened and then there's a point of, of national grieving and you see yes. all the flags out on your street flown by neighbors you didn't even know they had an American flag. Right. And, and then it dissipates. But like you say, this is something unheard of in, in all of our lifetimes. It's something that is open-ended. It's something that's killing thousands. And we don't know how many more thousands. And we don't know when it's going to end. And for me, there's a concern that if we all go back to normal too quickly, it's going to recur. Sure. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. So we can't all go back to normal just because the curve has begun to flatten. Then we're in trouble again. You know, So we're going to have to really have patience. You have 30-something, 40-something, 60-something all dealing with something for the first time, which is just, it's rare. It's crazy. This is insane what's happening here. Not to totally change the subject from this, but I'm looking at the screen right now and I see that they're putting horse on ESPN. And I can't yeah. figure out if this is something Greg Cody will rant against or be in favor of because horse is an old-time game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, am- <laughs> I'm amused that we're televising anything – that peripherally has to do with sports. You know, I, I joked the other day that um, if, if we made a 60-minute special of Tom Brady unpacking boxes in Derek Jeter's house, it, it would do boffo ratings. You know, it would be great because it's Tom Brady, it's sport. You actually you made know. that joke last week on the episode of the Greg Cody Show. Not yes, I did, yeah. yeah right. He's in reruns already? <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I'm doing reruns. I'll, have, I'll ask Christopher to edit that out, and he won't just to embarrass me. Um, That's what he should be doing. <laughs> exactly. But, hey, I, Sugas, I want to pivot real quickly because I'm, I'm forever interested in, in you and, and your deadhead-ism and your friendship with George R.R. R. Martin. Yes. I'm, cur- I'm curious, how and when did you first become a deadhead? So the, my brother was a huge Grateful Dead fan, okay? And he's four years older than me, and he just kind of passed it along. I heard him listening to the music all the time. I'm very, I like a lot of things, but I don't like too much of one thing. So what I mean by that is with food, I'm very basic. Cheeseburger, chicken parm, pizza, wings, I'm happy. I'm basic, right? Right. And so even with my music, it's like, okay, there are two bands that I would classify that I love, okay? I love Pearl Jam and I love The Grateful Dead. But I love The Grateful Dead in a way that I don't love Pearl Jam. Like I, I have been to nearly 200 Dead shows. I've probably only been to, you know, 10 Pearl Jam shows. 
for me, the dead, they're so good and they resonate with me so much that it almost renders all other bands and all their music meaningless to me because no one and nothing can sound as good as they sound to me, right? And ever since I went to my first Dead show uh, back in, I think, 1988 or 89, it's one thing to listen to them at home. It's another thing to go to one of those shows. I just, I fell in love with the scene, the sound, the vibe, the people. I always say, if you want to see what America should feel like and look like, go to a Grateful Dead show. There are young people, there are old people, there are black people, there are white people, there are Chinese people, there are Asian, African-American. There are all, it's from every walk of life. And so uh, I just, it, it just kind of fit me, my style. I needed something to relax me. And the Grateful Dead is the thing that I found in my life that just kind of helps me relax because as Chris knows, who's been around me forever, I have all this like pent up nervous energy, but somehow when I, and the Grateful Dead, good mood, bad mood, doesn't matter what's going on in my day. When I put them on, it all goes away. And so I just, I appreciate them for that. That's where the love came. It came from my brother. That really is the power of music. I'm not a deadhead by any means, but uh, the song uh, Touch of Grey has always been something special to me. Touch yeah. of Grey was on the radio and very popular right when Christopher was born, right when I yes. became a first time father. And I remember, this is 30 years ago, I remember uh, watching my newborn in his crib, listening to Touch of Grey, and the lyrics at that time just resonated with me. And 30 years later, that's my favorite song. You know, but one thing I'm curious about, when Jerry Garcia died as a casual dead fan, mm -hmm. I thought that that would be the end of, of their mass popularity. Their lead, their main guy had just left, but yet they're as popular as ever. Why is that? What has happened, and Greg, I thought the same thing. Jerry's gone, this is over. But what they did, so they took many, many years off. I thought the dead were out of my life. I still listen to them all over the house all the time. But what they did, I think, is a stroke of genius. So they decided to come back, and they didn't come back with some old guy to replace Jerry Garcia. They came back with John Mayer. And what John Mayer did, young, youngish, hip, popular, had his own act. Great looking. A great looking. And Greg, what it did... I could not get my daughters to listen to The Grateful Dead with Jerry Garcia. But the second Mayer joined that band, my daughters are like, not only do I want to listen, I want to go to concerts. Right. And, and so he's a master class guitarist. There are times where I've been to concerts and I close my eyes and I swear I am listening to The Grateful Dead with Jerry Garcia because Mayer is that good and has gotten that good at replacing Garcia. There are times, right? And that's Mayor's goal. He'll tell you, if I could give you five minutes where you feel like you're listening to Jerry, then I've done my job. So I get that, right? It's something, the dead is back in my life, and, but I get to experience it with my daughters because they now want to go to concerts with me because they love Mayor. And so here, that's a stroke of genius right there. Bring in someone young that appeases me as a dead fan, right? Because as long yes. as Bobby Weir is standing in the middle of that thing, and he is, as long as Bobby's there, it feels real to me. Okay, it feels like the dead to me. And so what I've noticed now back at home, when we come back home after, you know, we go to Mexico for these concerts, I listen to the dead in my shower almost every single night. And my daughter, Rachel, she listens to the dead in her shower almost every single night. She loves that. But I have started to listen to Dead and Company in the shower with John Mayer. And I hear her listening to the dead with Jerry Garcia. Wow. And so it's, oh, my. <laughs> it's like tied generations together for us. And so that's why, Greg, John Mayer is why they become so popular again. He is, he's the reason. They always had us. John Mayer expanded that audience. I can imagine that a Stu Gatz in his prime wouldn't want his daughters to see him at a dead concert. Oh, no. 
no, 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 no. <laughs> what are you implying, Chris? Uh, he's implying him at the time I went to the, uh, to the metal. Lab. So uh, he's not implying this time, but I'll tell the story anyway, because I've told it on the air a thousand times. This is what Chris wants my daughters to avoid saying is I went, Greg, if you remember old giant stadium, East Rutherford, New Jersey, right? Sure. And the Meadowlands was right next door, the Brendan Byrne, I think it was Brendan Byrne, right? So the Devils played there, the Nets played there, the Jets and Giants played uh, at Giant Stadium. So when you, when you went to uh, Dead Cops at Giant Stadium, you would have to park over in the Meadowlands parking lot, and there was a tunnel that connected um, the Meadowlands parking lot to Giant Stadium. You could not get to Giant Stadium unless you walked through this very long, narrow tunnel to get to the other parking lot. We got to the parking lot. We took whatever it is that we took, okay? And, I, and then we started walking towards the tunnel to try to get to the other parking lot, the Giant Stadium. Every time I walked into that tunnel, the tunnel started closing up. It just started, it started closing up. Like the scene in Star Wars where they tried to keep the room open, right? And I would take five steps in and walk five steps back out. And my friends are like, John, come on. You're going to be fine. I'll carry you. Let's go. And I'm like, I can't. I can't do it. I can't. And it, it was so bad that I ended up not going to the concert. My friend Jamie Hughes actually felt so bad for me that he said, listen, I'll stay with John. You guys go enjoy yourselves. Eventually, we'll get through this tunnel. We never made it through the tunnel. We sat in the parking lot. We listened to the, the concert from outside. I was very disappointed. But I think that's what Chris is alluding to. No, Chris, I do not want my daughter to see me scared walking through a tunnel because I think it's closing in on me. Yeah, I do not uh, want that to happen. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Sugats, uh, um, I've kept you too long. We're going to let you go. But um, I want to close with this. We... I'm sort of proud that we've spoken for 40 minutes or whatever, and, and we haven't mentioned once uh, Levitard. He, he's a guy who obviously has <laughs> been pretty important in both of our lives, um, and, and we both know him well. You probably know Dan as well as just about anybody. I wonder if there's um, one thing you can tell us about Dan that you haven't heard ever come up on the air that uh, a oh, lot wow. of people might not know about him. Oh, wow. That's a good question, Greg. Um, because we, we, we've been doing this for so long that we've, I like to think that we've put our lives out there for, for the world to hear. I, I think, Greg, you know this. This is, this is one, of, because I, I think what the audience hears is this. He'll be mean to me, or he'll be mean to you, uh, or he'll be, and, and we're just trying to be funny, but as Dan says all the time, when you're trying to be funny, sometimes you can, you can step over a line and funny becomes mean, Right. Chris, you've had your experiences. Anyone who works on our show has had experiences with Dan. And so by extension, they feel like Dan is this mean bully who thinks he's better than everyone else, right? What people don't know about Dan is that's the furthest thing from the truth. Dan is, for me at least, the most compassionate. One of the, he's compassionate. He is loyal. He is one of the kindest souls and gentle souls that I've ever met uh, in my entire life. And I've learned a lot about compassion, a lot about how to treat people, a lot about how to treat others uh, from Levitard, not only talking to him about it, but seeing the acts of kindness, the random acts of kindness, things that he'll do that you don't even know he's doing them sometimes, but he doesn't, whether it's a call to a boss to tell him, you know, what a great job you did on a certain segment or get, you know, getting a guest. I, he doesn't know that I know it, but it gets back to me. I know he's done it and he's done it with the idea of, hey, I don't want Stugatz to find out about this. But ultimately, I do because people just can't keep their mouths shut. So right. um, if you just listen to our show, you would think that Dan is this, this uh, highbrow, 
maybe he is a little bit. But highbrow, uh, mean bully. And I think what Greg and I can both tell you is he's the furthest thing from it. Uh, he has his moments, but we all have our moments. We should all take lessons in how to be that loyal and that compassionate and that sensitive about other people's problems, other people's plights, other people's situation, and just being a kind person in general. He's a very, very kind man. Anybody who knows Dan really well has experiences like that. And uh, just last week, I, I didn't end the, the show uh, last Tuesday feeling really good. And, um, and Dan very quickly sent me uh, a text saying, uh, hey, I, I used you as a punching bag today. I needed the content. I'm, I'm sorry. And he does things like that. You know, if, if he appears to be too harsh with you, you know, it, it's for the show, it's for content, but he's going to let you know afterward that he's sorry that he did that or, or what have you. And, yep. you know, when I was um, in the hospital for a few days uh, for that pretty major surgery I had, you know, Dan and Poppy were two of the people who came to visit me. You know, he's he's a friend in a way that I don't know how to be a friend like he's a friend. I mean, he's right. just very kind with the way he reaches out and everything. And yeah. and I think you and I talking about him this way is really ruining his reputation. <laughs> hey, uh, get rid of all that. He's a <laughs> yeah, he is. Idiot. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> Here's the one thing you didn't know about Dan. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Sugats, this was great. I really appreciate it. Uh, you got it, Greg. I'll do it. Any, listen, I got nothing but time, man. So uh, anytime you guys want to do this, I'm happy to Talk do to it. you next week. Yeah, talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah, dude. Call me 15, call me 15 minutes. <laughs> All right, I enjoyed doing it. Greg, you're going to be number one on iTunes. Number one, Greg. <laughs> I'm counting on it. Yeah, you get, you, you get a vigorous coming. Stu Gatz, thank you very much. That was terrific. And, and I can honestly say uh, some of those views of him and, and the Grateful Dead and, and him being a deadhead, I found it you know, it's emotional for him. I mean, it's a it's a mystical thing for him. And I found that very interesting to hear him talk about that and, and why that's so important to him. And, and, and when he and I talked about Dan and, and the things that we know about Dan that, that not every listener does, I think that was meaningful as well. That meant a lot to, to be able to say that. So uh, that was great. Thanks again, Stu Gatz. The funny thing about the Stu Gatz Grateful Dead thing is I agree with you. I believe he fully had all those emotions that he was describing with his daughters and going to the concerts now. But it's so funny because the vision that I had for a Grateful Dead concert was not a father and a daughter enjoying a nice moment. It was people <laughs> tripping on acid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're thinking of um, probably, you know, mid 60s, late 60s Grateful Dead as opposed to, you know, 2000s. <laughs> I bet there's still plenty of that going on at this Grateful Dead concert while Stu Gatz is having a genuinely nice moment with his daughter. <laughs> you may be right. <laughs> You're probably right, as a matter of fact. But anyway, uh, we're going to shift gears now. Let's get back to the NFL draft with Cameron Wolf. He's an ESPN reporter, covers the NFL, focuses on the Miami Dolphins. He covers the team as well as anybody. And we had a great time talking to him. How are you doing? What's going on? What's up? How much, man? Yeah, You're right? in your living room or what? Yeah, I'm in my living room. Is that where Goodell's going to be? What's he going to do? Is, is he got a den? Of office I, I, I heard he's going to be in his basement, but I'm sure his basement <laughs> probably looks better than my whole condo. So. <laughs> <laughs> where he lives in New York, his, his basement's got to be 2,000 square feet. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> um, how how are you getting along uh, in the whole stay at home thing? I've been good, man. Uh, it's been different. My wife's pregnant, so we've been oh, dealing my. with a lot of a lot of that, you know, nuance being in the house all the time. I'm sure she's getting tired of being in there. Uh, <laughs> oh. Otherwise, or, it's not a huge difference. Or tired of you being in there. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's that. <laughs> yeah, she's used to me going out and about and getting her free time. Yeah, she's. she's She's already complained that I talk too loud on the phone, and I'm probably talking too loud right now. So, <laughs> well, you got you know, you have your, you have your, you know, your professional announcer voice, and then your regular voice. Right, Cameron. Before as, we dive I, into this, I was gonna say, as this interview started, you were like, you're like talking. Well, like, it seemed like those were questions, like, but you didn't like start. You know, I'm we're con- we're conversating here. We're not. I'm not reading a list of questions off a legal pad like I did in my early uh, days in journalism back in the last century. Dude, does um, anyone in the locker room, you guys can speak, do people still write down longhand like notes in the locker rooms? Oh yeah. Barry, Barry Jackson's a big, you know, longhand guy. Yeah. You know? I think it, I think it might be me, Barry Jackson and, and Steve wine from the AP. Yep. Might be. Yep. You do it, Greg, you do oh, yeah. it. Just no, I, your I, phone I, out, record. What are you doing? Look, it, if it's a, a serious interview or whatever, I will back, back up with a recording, but I'm, I'm old school, man. I gotta, you know, I got my shorthand down and I gotta, you know, I just got a, I don't know, it's, I got a legal pad right here with nothing on it. Um, <laughs> let's sort of get this started in, a, in, a, in an official way. I would like to welcome to the podcast Cameron Wolf, the NFL Nation reporter for ESPN, covering and, and focusing on the Miami Dolphins. And that's a big role, particularly this week, because the Dolphins, for me, are right at the center of the draft with uh, three first-round picks for the first time ever. Cameron, welcome to the pod, and um, I'm wondering what what your overall thoughts are on the Dolphins heading into this draft. Appreciate you for having me. Um, I think they own the draft, literally. You know, three first-round picks, 14 total picks. The whole NFL is waiting to see what the Dolphins are going to do. You know, the draft really centers around them. So, for once, Dolphins fans can take pride in being the center, the center of the NFL world for the first time in a long time. So, hopefully they don't screw it up. It's been reported fairly recently that uh, the Dolphins were this close to flying Tua down to, uh, to to have a medical with their own doctors before the NFL shut down that kind of hands-on stuff. There's no doubt in my mind, I'm curious what you think, if, if Tua didn't have the durability issues, I think he's their guy. But now it makes me wonder if they're going to play it a little safer with Justin Herbert. What's your best thought or your intel on where they're leaning at number five? Yeah, I think we're we're in the same boat. You know, I think if Tua was healthy, he would be competing with Joe Burrow for the first overall pick. I think he's that type of player. I think NFL teams see him as that type of player. He's the most efficient quarterback in college football history. He's got the best interception to touchdown ratio in college football history. We saw him coming in as a freshman off the bench and winning a national title. He's got it. But he can't stay healthy. So I think that, you know, that element makes it really, really difficult to get an evaluation on him. I know the Dolphins really like Tua. They like every – he stands for everything they want in a quarterback. But the medical situation is something where they haven't got their hands on him. Like you mentioned, they didn't get him in in the physical like they wanted. And, and teams are always hesitant to trust – other doctors, especially when it comes to investing a top five pick into a quarterback, into a team. So if they pass on them, I 100% think injury is the reason why. There's been some talk that they might have to bump up to three to get him. I think he's going to be available at five, but what, what do you think about that? 
they would love to sit at five. I think that's their preference. From what I've been hearing, Detroit has been yelling to whoever will listen that they will trade down. And I don't know, I don't know if they're getting the interest that they thought they were going to get in that number three pick, and maybe that's a part of it. But I, I think they really are trying hard, and, and there's not a lot of interest there. The question becomes who would trade up in front of them because I, I think the Dolphins and teams across the league legitimately believe that the Washington and Detroit are both going to pass on quarterbacks. You know, there was a lot of like bluffing, hey, we might look at – I don't think teams believe either of those teams are going to be in the play for a quarterback. But the teams behind the Dolphins are the worry. You know, the Chargers are the most likely option. Are the Chargers legitimately going to hop them or not? And that's something the Dolphins will have to figure out I get the feel that they, they want to call the bluff, call the Chargers bluff and say, hey, we're going to sit at five. We think that we're going to get our guy here. When it comes on the draft and draft day and you only feel great about one guy, whether it's Tua or whether it's Herbert because of Tua's medicals, that's a bold thing to do. But I, I get the feel that they're not going to try to mortgage their draft, particularly if they have to give up a first round pick and more to move up. I, I think they're trying to avoid that. So um, I think they're more likely to stay at five than to trade up. You could almost make the argument, I think, we might look back on this draft and say that this hip injury from Tua was a blessing for the Dolphins because it yeah. kept people timid enough that they didn't have to trade up and give up a bunch of stuff for him, that they're going to actually probably get him at five. And the <clears> only reason that that's the case is because of this hip injury. Exactly. My favorite scenario is the Chargers trading up to three and taking Justin Herbert. And then the Dolphins are forced to take Tua <laughs> for better or for worse. That would be great. That's funny. Um, we're speaking with Cameron Wolf, the uh, very fine NFL reporter specializing in the Miami Dolphins for ESPN. What do you see their needs are beyond quarterback, particularly with those other two first round picks? Offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. Um, they, they have huge. They have huge issues in the trenches. They had the worst rushing attack in the NFL last year. They uh, gave up the most sacks in the NFL last year, and they're going to draft a rookie quarterback. That's you know they've got to protect. I wouldn't be shocked if they double dip on offensive line with those other two picks. You know, really? whether it's two offensive tackles, whether it's the offensive tackle and a center like Cesar Ruiz, I could see them. You know, really spending a lot of time devoting to that position. As Dolphins fans probably can speak to, it's been a while since they felt truly comfortable with their offensive line and what they're doing up front. So I think that you're going to see them, you know, at least spend one of those picks on the offensive line. And beyond that, you know, they've got needs at, at running back. They got needs. They could use another free safety, um, a guy that could push Bobby McCain down the slot corner and, and play up there. And I think they, they need another defensive line edge type front seven guy. That area was really barren. So if they can find maybe a three, four defensive end or a three, four outside linebacker who can play that multiple defense, I think that's going to help them out quite a bit. Do you think uh, this is going to be such a wild night watching this thing Thursday night? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just hoping and praying that Goodell's dog starts just barking incessantly as he's trying to make these calls. Uh, I hope he has a dog. I would buy him a dog and have him bark during the- Well, adopt the a dog, you mean. Oh, no. I would, uh, I would uh, get a rescue dog and give him to Goodell. I'm all in with Gettleman, by the way, being the guy, the GM or front office guy that like gets caught like unmuted when he should be muted oh, or yeah. something. That was a favorite. I sent out a tweet a couple of weeks ago about who's the most likely GM to have like Wi-Fi issues or like- not be able to get their pick on the clock. Gettleman was like an overwhelming runaway favorite. Who else were like the nominees? Like who were like the top uh, of the oh, Bill O'Brien was a mention. Uh, they yeah. figured he was going to find a way to screw something else up. I said Belichick 
from his non-knowledge of technology was going to have some issues with uh, with the Zoom. He's going to call it Boom or something. Um, <laughs> do, you have so, any, do you have any insight onto what are we going to see? Like all the Dolphins people, or are we only going to have a Zoom of Chris Greer? Like so, from what I understand, ESPN will have cameras in every GM and head coach's home. Okay. Um, so. I don't know how much they're going to be allowed to show and, right. you know, that sort of thing. But at some point we should be able to see Chris Greer set up, Ryan Flores set up, you know, they might have it boxed off where you yeah. can't see, you know, there their pictures no in the back. way that but, Bill Belichick is not going to be breaking the social distancing rule and having his whole <laughs> team on the other side of the camera. He's going to have his whole team there and Belichick's just going to, oh, I, I, I was watching I was on ESPN uh, Friday. They had uh, they had uh, Eric DaCosta, the Baltimore Ravens GM, on, and he joked that uh, John Harbaugh lives a hundred feet away from his house. And I was like, "There's no way if I live a hundred feet away from my head coach, I'm not having him over doing the draft with me. Like, there's no way." Hundred percent. <laughs> Cameron Wolf. NFL reporter covering the Miami Dolphins for ESPN. Really appreciate you dropping by the podcast. Great stuff. And um, hopefully uh, when the pandemic ends, we'll see you soon. Appreciate you. Y'all stay safe. Well, that was a lot of fun with Cameron Wolf. We thank him for dropping by the podcast. We're going we're gonna to have to have him back on again. Guys got some Dolphins knowledge to share. And of course, we want to thank Stu Gotts from the Levitard Show. Very entertaining by him. Uh, we also have that contest we're doing, but uh, it's confusing to me. So, Christopher, tell the people about it real quick. Yes, we are doing a happy half hour during the NFL draft this upcoming Friday night. We want three of our podcast listeners to join us for a happy half hour over Zoom. We'll watch the draft. We'll throw down some Miller lights, and we'll have a great time. If you would like to be eligible to win, you have to do two things. Follow us at The Greg Cody Show on Twitter and retweet this episode you're listening to right now. Go to Twitter retweet it you do those two things you are eligible to have a happy half hour with greg and i this friday night during the nfl draft all right let's go who's zooming who by aretha franklin hey podcast family thank you as always for joining us this was the greg cody show with greg cody podcast episode number eight we really appreciate you guys coming along for the ride every single week and we can see you right back here next week stay safe Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.